0: Alright, so I'm going to jump into it, and if you were not here last week, Tommy Carruthers spoke, and I would highly encourage you to go and listen to that if you have not already. I believe it's online. And so I'm going to give a brief recap because what, as it turns out, what he spoke about, which is mind renewal, what he spoke about last week provided a perfect context of what I want to talk about. So if you give me maybe 15 minutes or so, we'll ultimately get to what I want to talk about. But I do want to give a quick recap of some of the things that Tommy mentioned because I thought it was very appropriate for us here. So he, Tommy, I got his sermon notes. So he, he had a question in there. And this question was, what would happen if you got a taste of heaven's perspective? Hallelujah. It's a great question. I guess, in a sense, there's a follow immediate follow-on question, which is, would you even want it? I trust you do. But again, what would happen if you got a taste of heaven's perspective? Like it or not, you live as a bridge, in a sense, between two worlds. You live in the world, which has its systems, and then yet you are also a citizen of heaven. And there's a perspective that heaven has, which I'm sure it's not a surprise if I were to say it's not quite the same as what the world would say their perspective is. And you know, when you think of perspectives, and you can think of what, what does it mean for a mind to be conformed to the world? What does it mean? And I could say that a mind conformed to the world means that the mind has been tightly aligned with the customary operating principles and limitations of the world. That's not up there. Or it is up there. Oh, wow. Good. That's what it looks like for a mind to be conformed because there's two systems and you get to play, in a sense, between those two systems, preferably dominated by one, of course. and you know, the notion of these two systems, well, it's, it's a fascinating thing. And if you know me for any length of time, you know, maybe I'm not the most genteel person. Maybe I'm a little bit confrontational. Maybe. And it was interesting as I was reflecting what Tommy was speaking at, I kind of remembered, we had an encounter night here, and I think it was back in September. And I felt God say, so, which kind of breaks some rules if you think about how do you facilitate a time with God. And typically, you know, people, you know, they carry a lot of stuff from their day. You know, they had problems with work, problems with finance, I mean, just a whole host of things. And you can bring that into a meeting just like anything else. And that can dominate every part of your thinking until you kind of get past that. And so, you know, ideally, you know, you come with less of that and more of just an openness to what God has to say. But so on this night... And on the encounter I felt God say, tell the people, bring whatever problem you have, whatever you're struggling with, whatever issue is dominating your thinking, because you, you know, because that's all you think about. I said, just have him bring it to mind. So I was like, let's literally get it like right here. Like that's what you're thinking about right now. Not the way you would typically want to, you know, bring in the presence of God. But I just said, I felt that's what God wanted us to do. And the other thing, which I felt God say, so, once they have it in mind, tell them that by the end of the evening, they're going to get heaven's perspective on that issue. Now, looking back, I'm like, okay, that's a, it's, it, it's a way to do it. I'm not going to say it's a formula. You're going to do that all the time, but it forces the issue because you literally have it right there, and you can be worshiping the song that's right there. And at some point, unless something changed, we're still going to be right there until you get heaven's perspective. And so I'm obviously doing this, and what's interesting to me was that the second song that they played was a song that's an old song that I sang when I was dealing with just a major problem with my business and things looked really bad. I mean, I'll just not qualify it, just say really bad. And I was super discouraged, and I just sang that song. And when the worship team's playing it, and I didn't even necessarily have it in the forefront of my mind, but they played it like everything took me right back to that point in time where I'm singing to God and everything looks bad. And it's as if he said, yeah, nothing's changed. It's, it's like he gave me a perspective of some things that I was dealing with at the current time. But it's all he was saying is like, yeah, what you thought back then, what you believed for back then, nothing's changed. And that was a perspective. And there's this dual nature of the world system of thinking versus heaven's perspective. And what is possible when heaven's perspective enters the room and enters into your consciousness, well, everything has to change because there is a confrontation. So, there was a theological proposition put up and it says, if God is not better than I've ever thought, then there's a chance that he'll fail me and the goodness of God has boundaries. I rob myself and people around me of heaven being reproduced on earth if I give God boundaries in my thinking. That was a theological statement made by, I can only assume, by theologian Tommy Carruthers. (laughs) It's straight from his notes, what can I tell you? Fascinating. It's a fascinating statement. Because, and so let, let me give you, and this was in the context of testimonies, by the way, that he was talking about. And I had this conversation, I wish he was here, because you know, I don't like to talk about somebody when they're not here. But this is something that I've been talking to Tommy about for years now, about testimonies. Because I'm like, when he told me what he was doing, and he does it front front, and, you know, he's a testimony guy, and, and I said, you know, Tommy, this is fascinating to me. This tickles my fancy because I see something playing out. And I don't know if you realize what's playing This is what I see. And this is what I told them. Imagine, if you will, you were, and I said a cave, but I don't want you to think like Plato's cave. All right, that's not what I'm talking about. But I, this is what I had. It's like, I picture you, it's like you're in a cave. And the only contact you have with the outside world is through this one portal. And so coming through this one entrance to the cave, its entrance exit, the only thing you're getting from outside is testimonies that's all you get that's all you get and i say so if you've been in this cave and all you know of the outside world because you just keep getting these testimonies as reports back of what's going on in the world, then your mind has to like actually become kind of like well isn't that the way it is like there's no other i mean that's all that's happening right there's no limitation all you see is like oh there's this problem god just like boom Oh, another testimony. Oh, there was this problem and God did. And I'm like, and I said to Tommy, I was like, Tommy, it's like you're in this cave and all you know is what you get from testimonies so that your little perception of reality is entirely changing to the only thing you know is God's goodness and that, guess what? He fixes stuff. Like there's no room for anything else. You're getting one type of report. I wish I could tell him to his face. I actually already did. But his immersion in testimonies gave Tommy a view of reality governed by heaven's rules. Heaven's rules. A mind that would be conformed to the world would be saying, I am aligned with the frailties, the limitations, and well, this is how it is in the world. But a mind that has, in a sense, been renewed has none of those limitations because it's playing by a different set of rules. So Romans twelve two, you know the verse, and so now we can talk about this verse. It says, and do not be conformed to the world. I already told you what that means. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So Tommy was talking about last week about mind renewal, and mind renewal is the key and the mechanism by which you get transformed. You're like, oh, okay, I accept that because that's what it says. But let me talk a little bit about more about what it means to be transformed because you might think, well, that's a word. Okay, that's a word. So to make it as plain and as real as I can of what's at stake, about the power of transformation. Let me tell you what is the, one of the most common, well-known movie scripts that you just kind of do the stuff, plug it in into this formula, and guess what? People love it. And it's called The Hero's Journey. I summarize it, it's gonna appear in the back. So what is this Hero's Journey? Part one the hero hears the call and must make a conscious, willing decision to embark on adventure and leave the known world behind. Act two, the hero learns to navigate the unfamiliar world of adventure, typically experiencing symbolic death and rebirth. Final act, the conquering hero returns to the familiar world. This is like the formula for a movie that would be successful, that you're going to be like, wow, this is a great movie, even though you've seen it like 50 times already because they follow the same formula. (laughs) Now, I'm going to be at the risk of being like so like plain. I'm going to make the analogy. I think it's kind of obvious, but I'm going to make the analogy. The hero leaves the world, the familiar world. You live in the world, but you're a citizen of this other domain, kingdom, dominion. And you have to leave that in Act 1. And then in Act 2, you are now learning to navigate an unfamiliar world, which is the kingdom of heaven, heaven's perspectives, heaven's rules, the limitations that don't apply anymore. And there is a symbolic death and rebirth. Why? Because you have to let the old man die. The old man that is a well-developed creature of unbelief has to die. Yes, yes. And that's the whole process, isn't it? That's what transformation's like. And then once the process of transformation is complete, because your mind is now renewed, guess what? You return as the conquering hero to the familiar world, which is good for you, could be loud and counting. conquering hero. Well, Dwayne, that sounds kind of overly dramatic. I mean, mean, you're not a drama guy. Well, I am dramatic, but I'm not a drama guy. So, this is like, this is your life. Now, I'm gonna tell you something that might be like, ooh, I'm not sure I'm ready for you to hear that, but I'm gonna say it anyway, because it's in my notes, I got to, I'm committed. You heard the hero's journey. I made the analogy to your life. And guess what? The conclusion is, you are that hero. You. You, 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 you are that hero. Yeah, I don't feel like it. It's not my experience. Got a long way to go. Got a lot of things to learn. I don't know enough scripture. You can come with a million excuses. And I kind of like had this picture in my head that, wow not because I'm just wired that way and I'd love to do it, but I had this picture. I'm like, imagine, because I just said, you are that hero, and you're like, nah, not so much. Don't feel it. Maybe. I don't see things that way. I said, well, how about this? You and I, we're going to have a sit-down, one-on-one, you and me, and you are going to convince me that you aren't that hero. You should feel apprehensive about that, by the way, just because you know, I'm me. But I'm not going to tell you all the scriptures. I'm not going to tell you that. And in my mind, there's like a coup de grace of this whole thing. Like, you were bold enough to sit down with me to try and convince me that you're not the hero. So you're saying you're not living my notes. That sounds kind of not right. But we're going to have to sit down. And this is what I thought. Like, my ultimate response, this is the coup de grace of the whole conversation. It's like, are we really doing this? Really, we're going to do this. So you are going to try and convince me that you, the one who carries the spirit of the almighty God in you, you are trying to convince me that you're not the hero in your story. You will lose. You will be unconvincing you will have really no theological basis to stand on. I'm just going to be like, really? I mean, we're going to do this? You're trying to tell me that everything God has planned, the purposes, the things, the good things he has to do because you're his masterpiece, and you're trying to convince me that you're not the hero in your story. I'm telling you, I won't be convinced, and I'd love to do that. If if you really want to do that, I'm telling you what I'm going to say. So you can, give, you can come up with an argument. Okay, so that, by the way, ah, pretty good, 14 minutes. That's not what I'm talking about. But that is a wonderful context for what I do want to talk to you about. Because we are talking about your story, by the way. And because it's my notes, I believe my notes, you are the hero in your story as uncomfortable as that may seem. So, what are we talking about? This is the title of what we're going to talk about. Anxiety, colon, the sign of the times. That's my title. It's not really that catchy, but it's the title. So, you should be saying, well, I mean, okay, I mean, why did you do all that? I'm the hero of the story, and now we're talking about anxiety. Well, it is a sign of the times, I pretty much know that that's probably your experience. If you just like walk around and talk to anybody, you can just like feel it. It's like, oh my goodness, so much uncertainty. I don't even know what's going to happen. I mean, this, that, that, blah, 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 blah. I mean, of course, COVID contributed to all that. But point being, yeah. You can go look at any set of statistics anywhere, anywhere, anywhere in your own personal experience. And if I were to say what would be the general progression up or down of anxiety, oh, it's like this. Well, if you're standing there, it's like this. Actually, no, it's like this, sorry. It's like hockey stick, major increase. I mean, it's off the charts, right? So we're going to talk about it. But I gave you a context, which is you. Okay, so basics first. Proverbs 12:25 says this. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. So I did look up, I believe this word anxiety, the definition, because it's helpful. The definition of anxiety is apprehensive uneasiness or nervousness usually over an impending or anticipated ill. Imagine like the hammer ready to drop and you see the hammer might drop and the hammer is looking like it's going going to drop now. Is it going to drop now? Is it going to drop now? Is it going to drop now? Is it going to drop? And you just feel that, that's just your life. Like looking at the hammer like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness impending ill. And the result of anxiety, anxiety is not even the whole point. Anxiety, the result of anxiety is depression. Which, again, look at the statistics. Not going down. So if I were to say to you, is it possible to worry and live at peace at the same time? I hope you would say, No, because then you would be quoting scripture, which Philippians 4, 6, and 7, right? Do not be anxious. I'm not going to read the whole thing. If it's up, I don't know. Do not be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So anxiety and peace cannot coexist. Okay, As I said, anxiety is the gateway to depression. And what does depression mean? Depression means to stoop, to depress. I don't really love when it's like the same word, but it's to depress and to weigh down. And that, unfortunately, is a horrific experience. But the reason why anxiety and depression, which leads to depression, is so significant. Now I get to explain the context of why I took 14 minutes to talk about everything that Tommy talked last week. Is that anxiety impedes the hero's journey. You might be very tempted if you happen to struggle with anxiety or depression to think, you know, I need to get better. Like I wish I was better. I wish I didn't take as long to get over anxiety. And you're just thinking about it in a, such a narrow lens, which is, you know, it's your world, it's your experience, so I, I'm not going to begrudge that. But you're thinking in such a, your lens is so narrow because it's just you. And yet, when you have an ability to have heaven's perspective in the hero's journey, it's not about the hero per se, it's about the impact the hero is going to have. So if I depress the hero so that he never actually steps into becoming a hero, guess what? He never affects the change that he was called upon to do. So, as theologian Tommy Carruthers would say, yes, you are the target, but a strategic strategic goal of the enemy is to rob you and those around you of heaven being reproduced on earth. It's not just you. It's very strategic. I mean, there's a reason why snipers would target certain people. Because they had a disproportionate impact because of their rank. So the hero is somebody that will become a target because of the disproportionate impact the hero will have in those around him, in them and those around them. So... We're gonna talk specifically about anxiety now, but the whole perspective I wanted you to have as we talked about anxiety is that there is an enemy. I know that doesn't sound like something we should really focus on, but it's still true. And the enemy wants to foster growth of anxiety in you for all the reasons that I just mentioned. Because if you are that hero, You're slowly coming to my way of thinking, you are that hero with the capacity, with heaven's perspective to produce a disproportionate impact in yourself and those around you. Enemy knows that, so it's like, well, I don't want that to happen, so what do I do? I have to now depress that hero from emerging. So I'm gonna fill them in anxiety leading to depression so that they literally are depressed. You are in a play and you're not the only actor. There are bad actors too. So one of the things that the enemy does to foster growth of anxiety is he will limit your perspective. He will limit your perspective. Let me just delve into this just this like kind of like something I enjoy talking about which means I shouldn't really talk about it very long. The enemy will strategically show you only part of the picture so you reach the wrong conclusion. Every single negotiator in this room inherently knows what that statement means. Because one of the things I learned when I was like the freshly-minted attorney and I took a negotiation class, like, well, yeah, yeah, so negotiation, one of the things you have to do is make sure you know you can categorize it. There's two things I have to categorize. What do I want them to know and what don't I want them to know? Because what I want them to know is strategically designed to have them think something. It's still truthful, but it's strategically designed to reach a different conclusion, which is advantageous to me. The enemy is a negotiator, pretty skilled, master negotiator. And one of the classic things that he will do is show you a slice of reality that enables you to just engage in your normal rational machinery, and you are now on that slippery slope to the ill advised conclusion. That's what the enemy does. Pretty good at it. He doesn't actually have to take you step by step along the process of reaching a bad conclusion. He can just simply show you a single slice of reality and you will then take that and go da-da-da-da-da-da-da. da you are wired to do that with the world's perspective. There is a general aspect of persuasion which is just a mindset and a theory is that what you think about is the most important thing to you like what does that mean what that means is like this is don't think about it so theoretical like if i were to lay out the 20 things that you think are important and you can rank order them and figure out what is the most important to you you think oh yeah i can accept that it's like no what you're thinking about it like right now is the most important thing It may be like number 50 on your list, but the fact that you're listening to it right now means effectively it's the most important thing. And if I can get you just thinking about that, I've succeeded. I'm gonna move on. See, the goal is just to direct your mind and the rational machinery in your mind according to the world's systems and the world's faulty conclusions based on the world's limitations that if A, then B, Reflexively, categorically, that's where it's going to go. And you're like, oh my goodness, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. Yeah, according to the world. There's this really, I, I, I find this fascinating, by the way, that even by a title, there, there's a whole class of people, and what, what are they called? Influencers. I mean, like they're not even trying to be shy about it. It's like in your face. I'm like, follow me and I will influence you. Yeah. So, just stop. Just stop. I mean, just stop. Because, see, the the goal... All right, I've got to move on. The goal of an influencer is not necessarily to convince you. You can think somewhat innocently, well, I'm just getting information, But the fact that I'm giving you information that will be input into injecting into your rational mind will, I know, will influence you. All I can say is just please, just stop. What you put in will come out. So control what you put in, even when the people are literally calling themselves influencers. And now this is totally my pet peeve, which I'm gonna give myself license to do. Everybody has an opinion. Why do I care about somebody else's opinion? Or version to categorize what the significance of what just happened, like why? Maybe it's because I'm a lawyer I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's great, I mean, that's what you say, but uh, I don't have to accept that. And everybody, a lot of influencers, they give their own version and categorizing events, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, about your most popular leaders that you like. Okay. So, why did I do all of this? Okay, there was a point, and I don't want to get lost. Recognize, and I had this in a previous preach, recognize that you are increasingly under weaponized assault by the world system. Don't be naive. Just don't be naive. And I wrote some thoughts down about this. We live in a world with bad actors. Some of you know this to be so core to your truth because you're in a position of responsibility to protect. Some of you, it's kind of an inconvenient truth because you like there to be peace and less conflict, but there are bad actors. It is tempting for people to think that a struggle with anxiety is their problem in reflection of their failing. It's a temptation. Like you could literally have a struggle with this issue and think, well, that's just my problem. I'm not saying it's not a problem that you have to deal with, but you doth take it all upon yourself, and that's not true. That self-analysis discounts or even ignores that there is an enemy intentionally pushing you into that state. So I, to summarize this, I said, would your view of your struggle with anxiety change if you could see that there was someone behind the scenes feeding, encouraging, manipulating, and pushing you to enter into that anxious state? I had a grammatical error in there. But that kind of changes things, doesn't it? And that's what I wanted to have you consider. That too often, people that struggle with fear, anxiety, even depression, they have this mindset that, I mean, I wish I was better. I wish I was more mature and able to deal with this. I wish this, I wish that. And all they're thinking about is like their problem. They've made the entire thing their problem, and that's not true. It is not true. I live in a world with bad actors. I understand that, and that has to enter your calculus. It's like, let me ask you a question. It's gonna be rhetorical. What would change a high-tea-sipping, cucumber-sandwich-eating, Easter hat-wearing mom, going from a state of being genteel to a bear. That's going to take no prisoners. What would, what would happen? See, on the scene now is a focus of wrath because there is a bad, act, bad actor on the premise and the namesake of Mama Bear now comes out. Why? Because righteous indignation is saying, not today. <laughs> not today. And when you are willing to open your mind and consider the fact that there are bad actors that are desiring, pushing, manipulating, encouraging, and overall rejoicing that you get into an anxious state, well, at some level it becomes not today. Not today. Okay. I'm having fun. I I hope you are. The enemy uses anxiety to obscure your view of God. Mark 4, 7. This is the parable of the sower. And we all know this, like you, you learned this children's church, right? And some seed fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no crop. Mark four eighteen. Jesus is explaining what's going on. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares, which means anxiety of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. That's what anxiety does. And the only way to prevent the seed from yielding a crop is to overshadow it, is to overshadow it. So strategy is to obscure God. So that the anxiety so dominates, like literally the seed, the good seed that fell in soil that could produce, it was so crowded out by the thorns representing the cares of the world, which is anxiety, such that the entire view of God was cut off. Like that's the playbook. If your thinking is so dominated by your cares of the world or your anxieties that you literally can't see God and well, guess what? What is latently in the seed abil- an ability to produce cannot produce. It's the playbook. So this might sound like simple and trivial, and it's not. So I, I don't make, want to make it seem like it is. But when you are uncertain and you are in a state of anxiety, this is just a picture of what now needs to happen is you have to look to him. The whole point of anxiety is to cut your view of him off. So the only thing you see is the narrow view that the enemy put in place to lead you down a slippery slope to a bad conclusion, and that's all you see. And you have to find it in yourself Yes, it's a problem you have to deal with, but it's not just your problem. There's an, there's an adversary here, and you have to see it for what it is and break out, and now you have to look to him. And you say, well, that's kind of hard. Yes, it is hard. 2 Chronicles 2, verse 13, this is in the time of Jehoshaphat, where they pay, faced impossible odds a horde of an enemy that they had no answer to. And they said, oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. If I just stop there, it's like, I identify with that. There's a horde coming after me, and I don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. Our eyes are on you. If you didn't get to the butt, it is literally the picture of the thorns obscuring the seed, and now the result is predetermined, which is the seed cannot produce. But as soon as they could look beyond that and see God, now they got a taste of heaven's perspective and what was possible in a situation that by the world's rules, ah, game over, we're done. This is not easy to do. I'm not trying to say it is easy, but I'm showing you the markers of what it may look like in your situation where anxiety has amped up its levels and all you know is like you're seeing the axe or the hammer ready to fall and you're like, oh, uh, 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 uh. There's, you can't think your way out. That route, you're done, you've exhausted. I mean, you've only been thinking about it for 50 hours in the last two weeks. I think you've exhausted all the possibilities that your mind can conjure up. but our eyes are on you. And that but, I hope you hear that at some point. If you are literally in that state where it's, I have no plan, but our eyes are on you. Recommendation number two, just take the time to be with him. It's kind of a continuation of the theme. I was talking to this small group in Reston and I posed this question to them. And I said, what have you experienced when you spend time alone with God? These are some of the answers they gave me. Informal poll I get, but it's kind of scientific, sort of. The various experiences of the people when they spent time alone with God was this. Revelation. Peace. Peace and wisdom. And I said to them, I don't know about you, but if you knew for a fact that there is this one source that you could go to and you get revelation, peace and wisdom, uh, you'd be like, "Uh I'm there all the time, aren't I?" Yeah. Like anytime a problem appears on the horizon, I'm there. This is not my idea. This is what they said was their ex- this is an experience. This is not theoretical. I don't like theoretical Christianity. This is real. This is like real problems, real world, real issues, real struggles. And yet they basically said the answer of spending time alone with God was revelation, peace, and wisdom. Psalm 46.1 says, God is your refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. You might think that's theory. Oh, but that's... There's a reality to your time spent alone with God that enables you to gain heaven's perspective in the most natural, unobtrusive way. Why? Because you're asking him. You know, in the same way that you would willingly subject yourself to an influencer, click on their channel and listen to what you're basically saying, teach me. So that's the world. In heaven's economy, you have an opportunity because you're blood-bought Holy, blameless before having a righteousness not of your own and you get to go to him and say I need your perspective and he will give it why because you are his child yes but he's created you to be the hero in your story that's your resource You have 24-7, 365. You don't have to plead for it. You don't need me to help you with that. You have that direct because that's the whole point of what Jesus came for so that there would be no mediator. It's just you with God, you alone with God, where you're supposed to be, and you can be just in his presence and know there's no judgment, condemnation, and everything that you need is available to you. Tracy, would you come on up? We're going to close this. And I felt to do some things just to end. Watchman Nee said this. See, there is a war. There are bad actors. You're not this independent person trying to muddy your way through disconnected events. No, there's a lot of strategic action going on and you happen to be in the middle of it, but it's not a reflection of you per se. There is an enemy. And Watchman Nee said this, man's will and spirit are like a citadel which the evil spirits crave to capture. The open field where the battle is waged for the seizure of the citadel is the mind of man. That is the battlefield here. Enemy's pretty skilled. When I happen to be in negotiation, I have to have an assumption that I make when I'm in. I have to assume that the other side is exceedingly cunning, exceedingly smart and strategic, and everything they do is for a purpose. And if I don't think that, I'm going to get taken out. Yes, we have an enemy that has been working and refining his craft for thousands of years. That's true. But you have the Holy Spirit, which is the cheat code that is designed to counteract every thought and imagination and machination of the evil one's mindset to enable you to come into all that God has for you as the hero in your story. I appreciate that anxiety may be something that you may have struggled a lot, a little. But I felt to pray for us generally in this way. Because here, I just said, the battle is here. And if you feel like you have had just less than clarity in your mind, could even be anxiety. And you just know that you're not seeing quite so clear. That's just muddled. I happened to pray for somebody recently and I've never done this before but the thought literally came to me and I said to this person, your strength is what you hear. That based upon what you hear, that is where your strength comes from. And so just where you sit, if that is kind of where you're at, then you just know that up here, there's like stuff and you just acknowledge that you may not be seeing clearly, you may be even struggling with anxiety, as that I would like to pray for you. And the way we're going to do this, I would love for you to stand. And as you've stood, I would like for you like I'm, I can't do this like individually, but I'm going to do this corporately. I would like for you to literally just put your hands, and you just close your eyes and put your hands on your ears, just over your ears. Lord Jesus, these are your people. You gave your very life and purchase them. They are the object of your desire. They are the object of your love. They are the ones to carry out the plans and purposes that you've put in place before the beginning of time. They are yours. And I just say in the name of Jesus over their ears, I just take authority right now and I say every voice that is not of you, every voice that seeks to waylay, push, manipulate, even encourage, I say in the name of Jesus, you will be silent. You will be silent. You will not have access. And I place over the ears a hedge of protection so that the only voice that they will hear is yours, O oh Lord. That is the only voice that is going to echo in their ears and in their minds. It's going to reside just like the seed and it's just going to enable them to just see that seed grow as they ponder it, meditate on it. It is your voice and it is the strength of your people that when they hear your voice... They will see clearly, they will think clearly, and I bless the very processes of their mind so that it will be productive, allowing your thoughts to expand and dominate. And that will be the means by which they will gain heaven's perspective and there is strength there. Every other voice, I bind you right now in the name of Jesus and you will be silent. It is for your people, O Lord. It always has been and always will be. They are the object of your desire. If you would, just put your arms up now. It says in Isaiah 54, 13, all your children shall be taught by the Lord and great and great shall be the peace of your children. I'm going to read that again. All your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. Oh Lord, I just speak that over them. That individually, each of us will be taught directly by you, by your spirit. The questions that come to the minds, you have the answers, you have the perspective. They will be taught by you. You are theirs, their beloved. And great shall be the peace of your children. And I say over them right now, in the name of Jesus, peace, peace, peace. Let it rest. And for any here, That are struggling with anxiety, I say right now, in the name of Jesus, I cut that thorn, that anxiety at the very root. I just cut it in the name of Jesus so that they will see you clearly in spirit and in truth. The brightness of your face the brightness of your dawn will be so paramount to them they will see you clearly. Anxiety will not obscure. Anxiety will not dominate. Anxiety will be made low because the face of the Lord will now be paramount paramount and manifest over your people. May they enjoy you with clarity. Thank you, Lord.